0: In just a couple of moments, I'm going to ask you a question, I'd love to hear your thoughts and uh, your responses. It's one of those questions that I'm not sure there are wrong answers, so I'd love to hear your opinion. Uh, Those who are joining us online, feel free to type the answer to the following question in chat. This is this. This is the question. What are some of the big decisions that people will make over the course of their lives? You see we all make decisions right we all decided to get up but we had to decide what is it i want for breakfast that may not be too hard of a question to answer, to be honest, it's kind of limited to what you have in your home, how much time do you have, how much work do you want to do, uh, if someone else is doing the work, then all of a sudden options are endless, right, but if you're doing the work, uh, maybe I'll just have coffee this morning, or a slice of, of toast, or a bagel, something, something quick. For those of you that, that came to church this morning, it was, what am I going to wear to church today? And for those of you that did laundry yesterday, you have options. For those of you that do laundry tomorrow, it was, well, what's left over? What am I going to wear and and bring? Uh, I actually pulled out a pair of pants uh, this morning that had just inconceivably shrunk again in the wash. I can't believe how they did that again and again and again, almost to the point where I I felt like they were attacking me in the midsection. They were just uh, uncomfortable, so I had to make an audible on what I was going to wear today. But... What are some of the big decisions? Not the things that you decide quickly and easily, but the things that maybe keep you up at night. The things that make you wonder, okay, wait, I have to think about this. I've got to know the pros. I've got to know the cons. I've I've got to know whether this is the best option or whether I should choose another option. What are some of those big questions of life and decisions that people will make over the course of their lives. What do you think? Getting married. married. That's a big decision. Job. Job. That's a big decision. College. College. Where to go to college. That's a big decision. Retirement. Retirement. Is it the question to retire or when to retire? Sure, both are true. Uh, Absolutely. How do you want to retire? And I think... Uh, Along those lines as well, uh, how much will you invest now in order to retire later? What are some of the things that you're going to set as priorities in your finances so that you have the future that you desire? What about online? What are we hearing from people online? Uh, Josiah, what have they shared? Buying Buying a home, buying a house. That's a big decision, especially in today's market, right? You've seen some of those uh, house prices and things that people are willing to do to get a house. It's, uh, it's a seller's market today, that's for sure. What else are they saying? About, about all the same stuff, right? And that's interesting, yes. May I, don't jump the gun on me. <laughs> someone, someone gave away the uh, point of the message. <laughs> but uh, that's true. You're not wrong, but hold that thought for just a second. (laughs) Where you're going for vacation, that's always a, a challenging one. It's interesting to me that... Yes, one more. How many children you want to have. Sometimes that's different than the number of children you actually end up having. But absolutely, that is a big one. It's interesting that all of us kind of know what the big questions are in life, don't we? We know the questions of who, should I date this person? Should I marry this person? Should I take this job? Should I buy this home? Should I move to this part of the country? Should I move to another country? Should I buy this home? All of those things, all of the things that you shared are big questions, and thank you for sharing them. But I think the biggest question that anyone can ever answer is, will they make a decision to follow Jesus? I think that decision is the biggest decision that anyone could ever make in their lives, because I think it's one thing to become a Christian. It's another thing to be a Christian. Becoming a Christian is something that you do for a moment in time. Being a Christian is something you do all of the time. It's not just a decision you make. It's a choice to surrender who you are. And this is why it's so challenging to me personally. This is why I struggle with this. And maybe this is why you struggle with it too. Jesus himself said these words about following him. He said to them all, Jesus said to them all, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their, what's the word? Cross daily. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life We'll lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will save it. I struggle with this. I think many Christians struggle with this. I think many Christians struggle when the cost of following Jesus, of denying what we want for ourselves, And taking up our cross daily, not the little cross necklaces that we put around uh, as decoration, but an instrument of death, saying that that's how much we want to follow Jesus. We will deny what we want so that he gets what he wants is hard. And I think you see that not just today, but in every age, why Christians are tempted to turn to politics, to craft laws, to give them what they think they want the most. I think that's why you see Christians tempted to put their, their trust in money, that they have to get a certain job that costs them in other areas of life so that they can purchase what they feel they need to have in their life to make them happy. I think that's why some Christians struggle and pursue relationships, influence, accolades to satisfy their desires. It seems like those pursuits are going to give us more of the life that we want than what Jesus is promising us, which is a life of denial and taking up our cross daily and following Him. Have you ever felt that? Have you ever felt the tension of, is it worth following Jesus? What kind of a life is he giving me? I think over the last two years in the pandemic, the statistics have been surprising and staggering. But I have seen people leaving churches over the strangest, smallest issues. I have seen Christians refusing to love one another over demands that have been placed on them by government, by authority, by neighbors, by friends and family members. And I have seen church ministers leave ministry because of that tension. The level of burnout in church ministers and pastors and Christian leaders around the world is been heightened exponentially. And I think that's not just true of Christian leaders. It's true of Christians. That Christians have felt the heat over the last two years like they have never felt before. So why do we build our life on Jesus? Why should we build our life on Jesus? If He comes and says, your job as a Christian is to deny yourself, take up your cross daily and follow me, why should you do that? Well, last week we talked about some of those benefits. We talked about how we can gain... uh, what we gain from living a gospel-centered life, which is another way of saying why should we build our lives centered on Jesus? Why should we live a gospel-centered life? Because we, we gain spiritual impact. We see change in the world. We see spiritual connection, closeness, understanding of God's will. We gain spiritual stamina and we have spiritual joy. But there's sometimes, like we said last week, is we wonder if this is worth it Should we build our lives when it seems like so many others are building their lives on other pursuits and they're enjoying life? Is it worth building our lives on Jesus? Why should we build our lives on Him? Well, I would take it actually a little step farther. And I would say, that it's not enough for Christians to consider building their lives on Jesus. I would consider, like just what someone said, one of the big decisions you will make in your life and why it's the biggest decision you will ever make in your life, why people must build their lives on Jesus. Because there's two amazing truths about Jesus himself that is undeniable proof of what he wants for us. Can I show you what those are? If you've got a Bible with you, turn with me in them to Colossians chapter 1. We're going to continue in our series called Mindset, where we've been talking about how what we set our minds to actually determines, helps determine where we end up in life. And we learned last week, as I said, about why we should live a gospel-centered life, and all of those things are benefits to us. But there's two truths that we have to start with about the person of Jesus and who he is and what he's done that make it absolutely necessary, mandatory, compulsory for every person to build their lives on Jesus. Let me show you. Here's why we should build our lives on Jesus. In Corinthians uh, sorry Colossians 1:15 to 18 we read He is before all things, and in him all things hold together, and he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. We can build our lives on Jesus. We must build our lives on Jesus because he is the supreme authority in everything, over everything, in every way. The amazing thing about Jesus is that He's the creator of reality. Everything we see and know and understand in creation, He started it. He is the sustainer of reality. As a matter of fact, what... John said in his gospel about Jesus, is so profound here, that in the beginning was the Word, was Jesus. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. And nothing that has been made was without His supervision. Everything in reality was created by His Word. In other words, He was the agent of creation. The Old Testament would say it was God's wisdom that did this. Psalms and Proverbs and some of the prophets. And Moses would describe in Genesis 1, This poetic scene of God effortlessly saying, let there be and there was. That was Jesus. Let there be and it was. He was the agent of all of that creation. He was the strategic planner. He was the one who saw this is how everything needs to fit together. This is how everything needs to work. And this is how I want it to work. He was the inventor of the entire universe. The galaxy reality that we exist in. There is no one higher because he's the one who started it all. And he didn't just start the old creation, he started the new creation. Remember last week we talked about how the gift of Jesus as he left was the gift of the Holy Spirit and that gift of the Holy Spirit started the church and it was this colony of the kingdom of God being established in our midst. Jesus is the head of the church because He was the first one to experience the benefits of the church, that Jesus as a fully uh, formed human, as man, as a person, not as God, but as man, was the first person to be part of the church, defeating the greatest enemy that all of humanity would ever know, the consequences of sin, which is death. And he beat it. It's like he took a three-day vacation and came back and said, let's get back to work like we talked about in our series, The Son of God. There is nothing that can challenge the supremacy of Jesus because he is fully God. He is fully man. He is fully supreme in every way in both the old creation and the new creation. There is no one better. There is no one stronger. There is no one higher. There is no one more supreme than the Creator, Jesus Christ. And that is amazing. And what we need to remind ourselves here is that just like we celebrate all innovators, we need to celebrate and remember who Jesus is. Just... Whether we accept him or believe in him or not, we need to wrestle with the fact that he is the creator God. Um, can you tell me who Alexander Graham Bell is? Does anyone know who that is? I'm sorry, I'm sorry, what? Oh, he invented the telephone. How do you know that? How do you know that? Wasn't it uh, Steve Jobs that invented the phone? No, No, it was Alexander Graham Bell. How do you know that? Because we remember those who are innovators. We remember those who are, are inventors. We remember Henry Ford. Why? Because he invented the automobile, right? I mean... For all intents and purposes, that's what we remember him for. We remember him that, you know, as long as you wanted a Model T and it was black, you could have yourself a car. Right? That's what we remember. We remember the inventors. That's what we do. And that's why we remember Jesus. Because he invented all that we know in creation. He invented it. He figured out how it would work. He put it into place. So when you consider who is the inventor of life, that life even exists on this planet at all, it's all because of him. So can we just take a moment like, like we sang about this morning, like we were challenged about this morning, to remember the inventor of the world and the reality in which we live? When we walk in nature... When we go outside today and we hear the crunch of snow under our feet, that's not random. When we look at the vastness of the sky or the complexity of a medical scan, when we look into the eyes of someone we love, we see more than just atoms floating around we see a person. Think about how amazing that is. And it's all because of Jesus. We have a creator who made that. We have a creator who made you. And his name is Jesus. Well, that's what Paul says, right? I mean, and this is church, so of course we're going to say that, but... Can we be absolutely certain that Jesus is the creator God? Could someone else have started everything that we see? All of reality. I mean, science tells us that uh, uh, there was a massive explosion out of nothing. Other religions tell us that gods at war fought and somehow seeds sprang up and they became life and they're to serve others. How do we wrestle with that? Well, I think it's interesting that science as a study is an amazing tool and accomplishment of humanity. There's a challenge, though, with science. It often can only show us how. How? It doesn't show us why. Science shows us the how. It doesn't show us the why. And it can't show us the why behind the sheer magnitude of the beginning of the universe. Science is great. But it makes a poor God. Because it only answers the how things are done, not the why things are done. So the answer cannot simply be scientific. The best explanation, I believe, is that a creator God spoke. And when he spoke, so much power was unleashed because this God, this inventor, this Jesus... Was so powerful, so supreme, no one is above him, that the universe exploded into existence, was guided by his hand into existence. That's the Jesus of the Bible. So, can we just give credit where credit is due? That we're not here by accident. We're not here by some random cosmic fluke and when you die, it's not going to matter and your atoms are just going to go back to the cosmos. No, you were created because you have a creator. All things have a creator. Everything has a starting point. And it's a poor starting point to start with science because it only asks how. So that only leaves us with Religious answers. What started everything? Well, once we begin to maybe just accept the fact or at least say, okay, I understand what you're saying is that there has to be a start to everything and the Bible claims that Jesus is the start to everything and that would give him supreme authority. That would make sense. In order to have a God like this, saying that he spoke everything into existence, it would totally be understandable that that person would have to have supreme authority in order to do something on this magnitude. So, of course, he'd be number one. I'll give you that. But then tell me the why. Well, I would posit to you that since we know that we can build our lives on Jesus because he is the supreme authority in everything, that Jesus also answers the why he created everything. And I think we can build our lives on Jesus for this reason, starting in verse 19. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. And through him to reconcile to himself all things. Whether things in earth, on earth, or things in heaven. By making peace through his blood. Shed on the... What's that word again? Hmm. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now He has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in His sight without blemish and free from accusation if you continue in your faith established and firm and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel we can build our lives on jesus because he is the supreme authority in everything that's the how but we can build our lives on jesus because he has restored us to a holy relationship with god a righteous relationship to a righteous god And in the scope of all history, it's astounding to think that the created universe was designed by Jesus so that we could have a relationship with the Father through Jesus. That's why the universe exists for us to have a relationship with the God who created everything. Think about that for a moment. We do things for the people that we love. We make sacrifices for them. The God of the universe created all of reality so that humanity could come to know Him. That's mind-blowing to me. That's the God of the Bible. That's the Jesus of the Bible. And when we were enemies with God... Jesus reconciled us to him through his death and through his resurrection. And we can have that today, and we can have that forever. Um, how many of you um, have fine china? Do you have some fine china that you put out for special occasions and dinners and things like that? A lot of you do. Um. How many of you would give that fine china to a toddler as a toy? Not many, right? No, you'd say, hands off, that's not for you. I mean, you don't even put it in the dishwasher, let alone give it to a person who's under five years old. No way. Um, But that's what God did. He gave the fine china of earth And how long did it take before the fine china of earth broke? Two chapters into Genesis, three chapters into Genesis, and it's broken. It's completely busted because that's what kids do is they take things and they put them in their mouths when they're not supposed to put them in their mouths, and they drop things, they can't handle them, they smash things, and they laugh, and they giggle. And so here's all of the broken pieces of all of creation because of sin, And do you know what God did? He took the pieces and he said, I can fix this. And he put it all back together in the death and resurrection of Jesus and gave the plate back to humanity and said, this is still for you. Not only that, the gift of the earth that was originally intended for humanity in the Garden of Eden wasn't just, look at all these trees you can have, and look at the great weather that you have, and it never snows here, and that's great. That's probably just, you know, Brianology, not real theology, but um, here's all the things you have. It's No, I am here with you. I have a relationship with you. And when sin came, that relationship was broken. The fine china that God wanted to give us was a relationship with Him. So that we could know what real love looks like. So we could know what real holiness, real morality, real justice is. And He wants to give that back to us. And when you compare that to every other religious system in the world what you discover is the major convincing truth about why you should give your life to Christ. Because every other religion in the world says, here's the rules and here's the religious observances that you need to practice in order to appease God. In other words, you don't get in unless you do these things. Whereas in Christianity... You don't do these things to win God's favor. You do these things out of thankfulness for God's favor. You've already got his love. And the way we live, the observances that we have, the practice spiritual disciplines that we do, the gathering together, the witnessing, the giving, are not out of, please, Lord, if I do this, can I have your favor? It's, Lord out of the fact that you have given me your favor, I am doing this because I know that you love me. Jesus is the proof. So what are we putting our hopes on? What are we building our faith in? Are you trying to appease God? Coming to church in order to earn his favor, earn his approval. Can I just say that you don't need to? That no matter who you are or what you've done. God cannot love you anymore or God cannot love you any less. And Jesus is the proof of that. We can build our lives on Jesus because he restores us to a holy relationship with him. Science makes a poor God. It teaches us how the universe works. But not show us why. And other religions fall short because it puts all of the weight and all of the all of the um, uh, effort on our shoulders. Where God said that's not how I want to work, where the creator God of the Bible, where the creator Jesus of the Bible said, no, I am supreme. I have the power to start everything. Something had to start everything. I have the capability of doing that and I did it with ease. I had no contestants against me. I am supreme. But here's why I did it. So that you can have a relationship with your heavenly Father who loves you, who created you, and even though you've broken His fine china probably over and over and over again, just like I have, I will always pick up the pieces and I will always put them back together because that's why I made the universe in the first place. And there will come a day When Jesus will come and he will gather his people together so that we can know fully what we have a taste of right now. Now we can build our lives on Jesus because he is the supreme authority over all things. And we can build our lives on Jesus because he restores us to a holy relationship with our holy God. Maybe that's not strong enough. It's not that we can. It's not that we should. We must. When we come face to face with who Jesus is, when we come face to face with what he's done, there can be no other conclusions. It's the biggest decision you'll ever make in your life. So, how do we begin to live this out? How do we begin to live our lives on Jesus? Well, maybe because this is a big decision, we can leverage some of the ways that we evaluate other big decisions that we make in life and apply that to building our lives on Jesus. For example, uh, buying a home is one of the biggest decisions you'll ever make in your life, right? And one of the things that uh, your realtor will tell you to do is, hey, on your behalf, we're going to find you a home inspector. And we're going to have that home inspector go through and make sure that you know everything before you purchase this home. I mean, because the seller may be trying to you know, cover up some things just so that, you know, they don't have to fix it, but you do. So we're going to tell you the age of the furnace, how the pipes look, how the plumbing looks. You know, is there any mold in the rafters? We're going to look at the drains. We're going to look at the foundation. We're going to look at the stuff that you can't see normally on a day-to-day basis. You know, in recent months, housing has prices have gone through the roof, right? They've just... Crazy, there's no supply available, so the demand is high, and people are buying homes far above their asking price or their market value. I get that, but what I don't understand is why people are saying, Listen, we'll waive the inspection if you just take our offer. Why would anyone do that when you're making such a big decision? I think one of the things that we can do as Christians is to regularly, as we take up our cross daily, use a faith inspector. And we can ask for help from the Holy Spirit to analyze the way that we lived the day before, the way that we are living now in all the arenas of life, the categories of life, to ask. Am I building my life on Christ? Am I doing that personally? Am I doing that in the disciplines that I pursue? The things that I'm doing for my physical health, sometimes I have to force myself to get on the treadmill. What are the things that I'm doing to build my spiritual health? Am I doing those for the right reasons? And think about those things. How am I praying? How am I studying the Bible? How am I doing in my relationships, in my marriage? with my family, my kids, my parents? How am I doing with my friends and neighbors? Am I building my life on Christ at work? Not just in the way I handle my work, but in the way I handle my coworkers. How about in my hobbies? Things I do with my free time. How am I building my life on Christ in my finances and in my future? You know, last week we talked about taking your calendar and looking ahead in the week and saying, how can I use these events and appointments that are coming up that I know are coming? How can I use them as a way to build a gospel-centered life? That's forward thinking. You can also do the same thing in reverse. And you can look at the week that you just had And say, are there things that I need to correct? Are there things that I need to adjust so that I am actually building my life on Jesus? We must build our lives on Him. It is the only honest intellectual response that we can have because of who Jesus is the supreme authority of all things. And because of what He has done, that He has given us the greatest relationship for all time and eternity that we didn't deserve. He gives us a holy relationship with a holy God. Let's build our lives on Jesus. And Jesus alone. Let's pray together. Lord, as we pause in this moment, we ask, God, that you would speak to us through your Spirit. For those, Father, who are followers of you, who have given their lives to you, we want to be more than just people who became a Christian a long time ago. We want to be Christians. And sometimes, Lord, we lose sight of what it is that uh, you have done and who it is that you are. Because it seems like the request that you are making to take up our cross daily, to deny ourselves, is just too much for some days. But when we think of who you are, that you are the supreme authority in all of creation, that you created it, you sustain it, both the world that we see and the church that we now enjoy. We cannot help to surrender to your authority. You are first. We are not. And then when we come face to face with how you used your authority to create all things for the purpose of allowing us to know you. We are humbled. We are overwhelmed with how you would sweep up the broken pieces of our sinful lives, that you'd put them back together so that we can have a holy and righteous relationship with a holy and righteous God. Lord, would you help us to take stock of how we live, to do a regular inspection so that we can be confident that we are truly building our lives on you in every area of our lives. And that's why we need your Spirit's help, Father, to point out those things where we're not building our lives on you so that we might surrender them to you again. And know that righteousness and holiness from the relationship that we have with you. And Lord, there are some here, some watching, who perhaps you have said, now is the time to make a decision. Would you help them, Lord, to pray to accept you as their Savior? Lord, would you help them to pray these words? Father, I know I'm a sinner. I have broken my life because of sin. But because of Jesus' death and resurrection, my sin has been forgiven. And I can be made new. I surrender my life to you. And I choose to follow you from this day forward to not only become a Christ follower, but to be a Christ follower. Lord, for those that just prayed that prayer, I pray that your Spirit would be poured out on them, that they would know your closeness, your love, your comfort, your cleansing and your renewal as you have brought them home into the kingdom of your Son, the rightful supreme authority of all that we see, of all that we know. And Lord, would you help us to build our lives, all of us, to build our lives on Jesus. We pray this in his name. Amen.